Theirs is one of the most riveting stories on the Minnesota sports scene this past year. The University of St. Thomas ousted from the MIAC the year before, landing on their feet in a big way. St. Thomas making a historic leap from Division Three to Division One sports. It's never happened. The school's head football coach, Glenn Caruso, joins us now on Perk at Pod. Perk and Pond, sometimes he's at play. Perk and Pond, find out what he'll say. Perk and Pond, who's coming on today? Perk and Pond. Yeah, yeah. The Tommies of St. Thomas have dominated in many sports, but especially football. Call it a purple rain, which brings us to random ranks. With the Tommies sporting the color purple, that's a movie too, isn't it? Uh, this time on random ranks, we rank the top 11 sports teams that wear purple, not including St. Thomas. Okay, we're just going to give them a buy on this one. Top 11, number 11, teams that wear purple. In order. Of course, very subjective, but incredibly accurate. Number 11, the Colorado Rockies. Solid. Especially when they go all purple. Number 10, LSU Tigers, the Bayou Bengals. Uh, I got I got a beer thrown at me in Baton Rouge at an LSU Ole Miss game, just FYI. Number nine, LA Lakers. Classic purple and gold right there. Old LA Kings were, were especially good too, but they're not on the list because they – don't wear those colors anymore. Number eight, Northwestern, the Wildcats. Number seven, from the MLS, I'm spreading the love, Orlando City. Number six, Baltimore Ravens. Matt Burke, former Baltimore Raven, a past guest on Perkett Pod. Number five, the Washington Huskies. Number four of the best teams that wear purple, the TCU Horn frogs, <laughs> and they're ranked this high only because of their name. Um, the number three ranked purple team in sports, the Phoenix Suns. I just love the way the purple pairs with the orange, I just think it's fabulous. Number two, I've just always really liked this whole branding and, and, the, and the look of their uniforms and the look of their mascot, the East Carolina Pirates, dark horse coming in at number two, and number one. The James Madison Dukes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The Furman Paladins. No, okay, I'm kidding. Okay, it's, you know it's the Minnesota Vikings, so why are we even, like, belaboring this? It has been a purple rain at St. Thomas. The athletic program there has been absolutely outstanding. But the success in football has been quite an ascent to witness, and it really has corresponded with the arrival of Glenn Caruso. This guy has been named the National Coach of the Year Six times that I know of since he joined the Tommies, a half a dozen times he's won National Coach of the Year. Those are all in D3, but now there's a new division to conquer, and I'm not betting against this dynamic leader in Division One. Here now, my conversation with St. Thomas football coach, Glenn Caruso. Glenn Caruso, thank you so much for joining us on Perkett Pod. Glenn spelled with two N's, which is unusual. Yeah, I think my mom uh, wanted to have all of the kids' names end in double consonants. So we got a Jill with two L's, a Russ with two S's, an N, and 
uh, Glenn with two N's, uh, but it definitely confuses the Google search. There's no doubt. I hear about that all the time. Outstanding. You are uh, joining the Pioneer League, a fitting name for a league, considering this is sort of a, a, a pioneering expedition that that St. Thomas is on here. It, it's pretty remarkable, and I know you've, you've talked about it a lot, this, this transition that is entirely unprecedented. Um, can, can you just talk about all that it entails and how immersed you are in this sort of morphing into a, a D1 school? Well, I, I don't know if I can yeah. cover all that it entails only because as much work has been gone into this on the front end, in my opinion, the beauty of it is you're still hitting balls that are coming at you that you're still learning as you go. And it's going to probably be that way for a little while. Very similar to when we got here, the, the similarities between 2008 arriving here and our transition to, to division one. The only difference is the transition to division one from three is unprecedented, but you had maybe a few more, a few more people to be able to rely on uh, when we, when we got here and how we wanted to change it. And you were one of the few that covered us from the very beginning, like the very beginning. And uh, I do think you're right. Uh, it seems apropos, the double entendre of Pioneer, because it is uncharted waters. And, you know, um, a lot of things that we're going to have to do and learn. I uh, love the fact that the league is literally, and I don't use that term lightly, Perk, but it's literally the only conference, Division One conference, that's coast to coast and border to border. And at a place where we want to remain decidedly Midwestern, but be able to show a broader experience to an ever-shrinking globe, it's, it's like almost perfect. And uh, it, we had to go back a lot because there's no one I can call. I mean, we, we went through transition a little bit at North Dakota State as we were going from two to one at the beginning of that, right, when we were coaching there. And then at the very beginning of it, it's South Dakota, uh, again, two to one, but there's no one you can call. Typically, football coaches, probably like reporters, you kind of call and steal each other's ideas and, and make them into your own. And, and uh, you know, there wasn't a roadmap for this one. So we're getting to market ourselves, and it's been pretty cool. And you aren't kidding about that sort of geographical diversity. I mean, you, you have schools in this league that are, that are in California, that are in New York, I think Florida. <laughs> it's just like you'll be potentially traveling all over the place, but also keeping it local uh, to a degree with some, some Midwest games too, right? I mean, you're kind of just all over the place. For sure. Um, it, it is, you know, the, yes, you hit those, you know, New York and California and South Florida, Florida. Um, but there's also, you know, half a dozen that are driving distance. So it's kind of unique that way. I think in terms of if you, if you're going to be in the league, I'm happy with where we are relative to being in the league um, because we are going to be able to, you know, bus to some places like Drake and, you know, down to Chicago and still have some that are closer. So it's not like you're on a flight every single week. And obviously, look, I'm looking out my window now, but six of the games are five or six of the games are going to be here every year too. But it just, I think it, it allows for a diversity of experience. And I think that's really important. How do you, how do you, I know Phil Eston, your athletic director is, is handling a lot of the, the sort of transitional pieces and, and all that goes on with something like this, but how, how do you expect your team to come out of the gates and, and compete this year? Uh, is it, is it something that can, can immediately happen or, or is this, or is this, you know, s still going to be a, a really slow burn for you? Well, 
a real fair question. I think I, I wish people would ask it more because I think it's what's on everybody's mind, but they're, they, they sometimes ask. Um, I will say this. Could it be? It depends on how you want to quantify competitive and those types of things. I will say this, that when we got here and we took over two and eight, and that first year, you know, we played four homecoming games and only one was St. Thomas's. Like we were everybody else's homecoming game. Right. I promise you, we're the only team that went 4-0 and in homecoming games in 2008. The goal was to get the culture right and then grow from there. And I understand, I mean, I'm not, I'm not being uh, ignorant about this. I understand that success came earlier than many expected it to around here, <clears throat> but was absolutely not the intention. The intention was to get the process, the, the culture, the kids, the recruiting, the coaching, the attitude right, and then grow from there. Long-winded answer to be able to say, it could it? It, it could. I, I, time is going to tell. So I'll give the trite coach answer there. But I will say it's never going to be the focal point. The results are not going to be the focal point before the process. The process of changing the culture everywhere we've been, we've done it the same way. And we know that whatever happens on the field or on the scoreboard or in the papers on Sunday, whatever happens is going to be the byproduct of that culture. So we're going to focus on those things we can control because frankly, I don't have a decade and a half of history of knowing this team and this coach and these kids. And so it's going to be a little bit new for us, which for me is um, refreshing. All right. We're going to take a quick pause back with more with Glenn Caruso in just a bit. But first, I want to introduce you folks to a guy that is sitting across from me right now, looking awfully dapper, by the way. <laughs> Michael Bryant, thanks so much for being here and joining us on Perkett Pod. I am glad to be here. Tell us about yourself. I, I know you're obviously the Bryant of Bradshaw and Bryant. Um, tell us about Bradshaw and Bryant. Bradshaw and Bryant is a law firm that does plaintiff's personal injury. We represent people who are injured through no fault of their own, and we also do criminal defense. So we have a full-time criminal lawyer. I've done criminal work since I started with John Bradshaw back in 1991. I still do a little bit of criminal, but for the most part, I do plaintiff personal injury and represent lots of people in car accidents. Uh, I do a number of cases involving survivors that have been sexually abused. And then we get involved in a number of different personal injury type cases. So you're a busy guy. I try to be. You mentioned Bradshaw, not Terry Bradshaw from the Pittsburgh Steelers from, <laughs> from the days of yore, right? I mean, it's just, no, yeah. uh, not that guy. But, but, what, <laughs> but what about your team? How, how, many, how, many, how many are on your, uh, are on your side there? Well, we have two lawyers in the Minneapolis office, mm -hmm. uh, and then in St. Cloud, we have, uh, there's five of us. So I think total, I have anywhere between seven and nine, depending on how you do the math. And you're a sports fan, too. A uh, very big sports fan. I grew up in Rhode Island, and uh, I'm a diehard Red Sox fan, no matter what. And then I moved to Minnesota in 1982 and got infected with, you know, liking the Vikings <laughs> and, and caring about the Twins and... And you played sports, too, growing up, right? I played hockey. Yeah. I was a goaltender. Uh, I played some juniors, and I played. Uh, I was going to play college hockey and then found out there was a lot more to life than stopping hockey pucks. And again, where can people reach you, Mike? People can reach us at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. We have a place you can comment there, and there's also a chat that pops up there. Or they can call 800-770-7008. Great chatting with you. Thanks for being a friend of Perkett Pod here, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Perk and Pine. You hear that phrase a lot, culture. 
Um, you talk about process, you talk about the kids, you talk about the, the, the way things go down there. That, that seems to be really the, the recipe for success for college football, but, but all football, really. I mean, so much of X's and O's becomes overrated when, if, you, if you don't have that culture, if you don't have that chemistry, if you don't have that makeup, if you don't have those values. Am I, am I accurate? Yeah, of course you're accurate. I mean, you know that it, it's, I would even take it a step further. It, it manifests maybe at a higher rate in college football than maybe some other sports or even some other uh, levels of football. And there could be a myriad of reasons for that, but I would even take it a step further and say, it just doesn't seem like there are longstanding successful families, businesses, companies, cultures. I mean, all of it comes back to having some sort of, of common respect and belief for one another. <clears throat> Certainly, totally different, right? And it comes back to, you know, when, right when we were talking before, I mean, it's not so much the practices as much as the ever-present and common focus that you have every day. Rachel and I, raising our, our family, we go through the same thing. Um, it's not about the win that one of our kids has or the failure that one of our kids has. It's about working through the process of ha finding out how to overcome those things and not take yourself too seriously when you have a lot of success and not be too down on yourself when you don't have initial success. So I, it's, it's the same way that, that we raise our football team, that we raise our family. And if someone said, Glenn, I'm gonna pluck you out and drop you in a Fortune 500 company, it's the same way that that would work too. And you referenced Phil, you know, one of the things in learning, I've known Phil for uh, probably seven, eight years as an alum. And in working with him for the last two, what I appreciate the most, there's several things I appreciate, but what I appreciate the most is that he not only understands the culture but he adds to it and he understands the importance of that having to be one of the key vessels for our whole department throughout transition here. Where did you get that instilled upon you, that those sense of priorities? My dad, not Got even it. close. Like not, it's, it's, not, it's not even close. Um, my dad was just, he was the guy who, um, I'm not going to say he's the smartest man I've ever met. He was an attorney, first ever go to school in his family, but he could figure things out as a first generation, uh, you know, immigrant son to the, to the country. He grew up in a time where he just, he had to lead. He has, he lost his mom, unfortunately, much, much like I lost my, my mom at the same age at eight. He had to lead. He had to figure things out. Uh, he, he wasn't raised to understand the importance of education, but he, he taught it and he would always say, uh, I don't know if I should, I'll say it. He said, Glenn, college isn't about knowing all the answers. He said, college is about figuring out how to find out all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. And so he was, he was such an educator. And even though he only taught me, this one came out from my sister the other day. That's not a flattering picture of Glenn Caruso, but that's him coaching me back, back in the Kimball Mavericks. Um, I don't know, 1983 or something like that. But he cared enough to put everything he had into his family and his children. So everything, like when we got here, Perk, there, you know, I look at the stadium, I look at the facilities, I look at the Jumbotron, I look at the trophies this way. Like none of that stuff is what I would relate to typical football 
coaching. It's all just the media we're in utilizing the lessons that dad taught us at a really, really, really young age. By far the most pivotal man in my life who I ever met. By far. And so that's instilled in, in you and that's ingrained deeply within your psyche and, and your, your way of living. You then have to be able to convey, communicate, and inspire, motivate, whatever, your group of kids there at St. Thomas. And so, you know, eventually you, you would have to learn how to, how to not just live those words, but then to, to pass them on to a younger generation. And it seems like that's where you, you really thrive as a, as a coach. I think we're pretty good at it because two reasons. Number one, it starts with our Right. So I think a lot of people like, especially in football, they like to go from head coach and they like to go to the player. But what they don't understand is we have a staff of 13 guys that work tirelessly to take those same, like those are the guys that are having more daily touches and more teaching points. Those are the guys that routinely work tremendously hard and yet decrease through beautiful humility, decrease their own importance of, you know, a, a, a singular message to, to be on the same page. So it really starts with the staff and we've been blessed for a relatively young staff. We have some great longevity and, and, and loyalty together. Um, but to get to the original point, you're, you're right. Like we need to find a way it's give them extra teaching to fish. Right. And so if, if we believe that education is truly the legacy that is passed through you to the next group, well, then that's exactly what we're doing. We're teachers. I get it. We're football coaches. I'll do interviews. We'll go recruit. I'll go talk to this Rotary Club. I get it 100%. I'm not stupid. But, but at the essence, at the very core of what we do, it's, you know, you are nothing more. You, me, anybody else who wants to be real with themselves, you are a compilation of the people in your life and the circumstances and how you decide to deal with them, right? So most of what we learn is more a product of my dad's teaching and Rocco Caruso, his dad's teaching. And, you know, I always say, you can judge me on how our kids turn out someday, you know, but um, it, if it's not passed along, if it's not shared for a, a common good, then what's it all for? Mm, yeah, totally. Great point. I, I love that your, your grandpa's name was Rocco. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And that wasn't his nickname, Perk. That was like on his birth certificate. Rocco, and that's our, our youngest son's middle name, uh, Truman Rocco. It's uh, Italian for tough. That's the Italian word for tough. And my grandfather was every bit that. Have you met Rocco Valdelli? I have not, but our kid has a huge, Truman has a huge Rocco poster. There's not a whole lot of Roccos out here, but I'll tell you what, where I grew up, it wasn't that uncommon a name. And uh, I've never met him, but I'll tell you, I've seen him. And I'm not, I'm not inherently a, a baseball guy or anything like that. My wife is, she'll tell you the starting rotation and what's good and what's wrong with and all that, everything else in between. But um, watching him coach those guys reminds me at times of some of the same things. I mean, he can be fiery at times. He can also be cool at times. But it, it, the essence of what coach does, he's a teacher. And I think the best ones are. And he's very, he relates very, very well. And he's, he's cerebral and he, he, you know, he, 
he's open to so many di- different ideas. I, I, uh, I appreciate it. One of the things that I, that I think that you both do in common is, uh, is you, you're big believers in, in naps. What makes you say that? Well, I, I didn't, I see that don't, don't, aren't you a nap guy or no? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, so he, he, he for sure. prescribes to that same theory that, 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 uh, that napping is, is a really positive tool for, for overall health. So it is a, um, occupational hazard in any ridiculously acute field, right? I would assume reporting is the same way, right? There's probably a million people that are out there volunteering their time at age 23 because they want to be like, same thing as as coaching. There's so many people who want to do it that it's it's very acute and you have to be very driven to get there. But what I've also realized over time, my dad used to have a pillow in his office and I wouldn't say every day, but I would say three to four days a week he would put a little thing on his door and he would pull out his pillow and he would lay down. And it's not so much the nap to, to, to get more energy. It's, we have so much content that's coming at us Mm. nowadays in everything. Think about when you wanted to learn about the Vietnam war, you had to get on your bike, go down to the library, go look at the Funkin' Wagnalls or the encyclopedia Columbia and read it. Right. And then report on, go back. There's so much content that the context and the filtering of that content is really what's important. So mentally, just like if, if, if we read or learn without taking time to reflect, it's like eating without digesting. It really is. You don't get the full nutrients of what it is. So there are times where I'm busy as all get out and things are coming at me a hundred miles an hour, but you know what? I know I got practice and I'll pull out my pillow and lay on the ground and just try and take 20 minutes, no longer, to try and organize these thoughts and, and bring, bring me down to a, I would say maybe a, a, a less crazy state. And I do believe, and I think more people should do it. And I think the 20 minutes you give up, shoot, the, the nut, if I take a nap at one o'clock, the other six hours of my day that I'm working past then are far more productive. Sharp yeah, the act, that, right? that, uh, that's a great perspective. And some people say, I don't have time. I mean, yeah, yeah, but you'll, you'll be so much more efficient. All right, we're going to put a pin in this for now. We're going to be back with more from Glenn Caruso in just a bit. But first, we got to take this time to chat with Sean Bernard, who is kind enough to be here with us today. Sean Bernard is, an, is a real estate agent for Edina Realty, kind of a rock star real estate agent, aren't you? <laughs> I have fun, man. That's a, that's the a reason why I'm glad that I did this partnership with you and sponsor your show is that we both have a similar mindset that we are going to have a good time. Well, we appreciate you, you know, being a friend of, of, of Perkett Pod and, and helping us out in so many ways. But if you would talk about your, your agency and, and, uh, and what you're able to do as an agent. Well, yeah, you know, it, it really comes down to the homework, you know, doing your homework, doing the research. And I pride myself on that. I learned a long time ago that I'm a big nerd. This time of the year, what I'm really working on is people that are planning three to six to nine months from now. Uh, if people are interested, if it's you or somebody else you know that's interested in buying or selling, give me a call at 612-859-2594. That number is also text-worthy. And if you're listening to this podcast and you love music, I got a great podcast for you to listen to. It's The Brian Oak Show. Give that a listen anywhere you find your podcasts. 
perk and pound. Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned recruiting. I'm, I'm curious as to that now that you are a D- Division One school. How much does that change? How, what does that look like now? And I know the pandemic has brought on incredible challenges when it comes to all this, but um, how how altered is that now with the with the type of kids or or the caliber of kids that you're able to to select from does how different is it uh, one of my favorite questions that i get asked is this one because i think it's the most important thing who you choose to populate your communities with right and we've always been very fortunate that the way we set it up here perk was we we've been recruiting for a long time like a division one school um, now, it, that's in logistics and in practice and in evaluation and placement, all those kind of things. That doesn't mean that, that we were winning the majorities of those battles, right? But, you know, I was, a, I was a D3 kid that played D3 football. And if we had 110 Glenn Caruso's, we'd be like ridiculously average. We wouldn't be in right now because of our success. I promise you that. Um, and so for a long time, we would recruit guys that had many other opportunities. And what I learned is, you know, to your point, the, the COVID scenario, I wouldn't say those are obstacles. We all know that the negative ramifications of COVID in general, but in terms of recruiting, it really is, is more of an opportunity depending on, on which way you decide to take it and how good you are at what you do. And I would say the same exact thing about when you recruit, um, it's really more a function of, do you want to go after someone who their only option is to come to your school. That was Glenn Caruso. I don't want a whole bunch of me. Although I was tough. I want the kids that have many options and, and are looking at Ivy League schools and BCS schools and schools all over the country. And all, but they feel strongly compelled that for whatever reason, St. Thomas does a great job of balancing the two educations you get, the classroom and the football education. And there is a football education, make no mistake. And and the other things, right? The, the, obviously, our success has, has, been, has been neat. The fact that we'll place 97% of our graduating class in full-time jobs before they even graduate from the University of St. Thomas. Mm. There's all those other things, right? 70, 47 kids on the dean's list, like last semester. There, there are, there, you can have both. Um, but what's different is that our, our hit ratio in trying to live in that world five, six, eight, ten 10 years ago, I'd have to be willing to recruit 12 guys to get one. Maybe our hit ratio might be 8%. Whereas now the exposure, uh, the international exposure, the fact that when people pick the story up of, of what started to happen two years ago and, and focus was put on St. Thomas and St. Thomas football is that now we have an opportunity to scale that out to a larger footprint. And now the hit ratio is, is much higher. Um, but it's, it it's very core, the type of guy we're recruiting, his ability to be thoughtful, to understand education, to understand his service to others, all those things, his selflessness, those will not change. Will the average lineman be a couple inches taller? I hope so. <laughs> will the starting wide receiver be a couple of tenths of, Sure, that, that stuff's going to happen. But the core tenets of who we are and how we go about the process are not. And look, I, I think Minnesota has just been an unbelievable. I, I think we, in our class, don't quote me, but it's, it's either 14 or 15 guys 
in our class of 28 are from Minnesota. And the state has such a strong and rich football tradition that we're very blessed to be able to be going Division One in a state like Minnesota. Did you see that rivalry eventually developing with the University of Minnesota, or at least maybe in, in the recruiting process? Because now, you know, they're, they're not the only show in town. I, I you know, I, I know there's a lot, I know there's a lot of, you know, variables to all that, but, but can, can you see down the road where, where it becomes, you know? You know, if, if we do it well enough and long enough, maybe, maybe down the road, there's always going to be someone who you contend with, right? But on a regular basis for us to be in those conversations, it's moving in that direction, but you also have to look at the wonderful job that they've done over there. And, you know, not just coach Fleck, but, you know, Mark Coyle in general, just doing a, doing a really awesome job with so much, so much difficulty um, in, in these times. So they, I think they do a really nice job. Um, we, we have other uh, fish to fry before we get to that point. I get you. No, I hear right, you. That right now, it's like, holy buckets, Perk. Like, we got we to gotta play our first season and see where we are. But, I, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I understand. I'd ask the same question. No, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But you talk about all that you have to do and all that's on your plate, Glenn, and um, and yet I know that you're you're all about family and uh, and, and faith family football, right? And, and 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 that how important all that is to you. Um, how tough is that to balance sometimes or, or not at all because you do have such priorities in place? I don't want to pretend like I have the answers and the priorities in place, but we have such few things in our life that we prioritize. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not, um, I love fishing, but I, I'm not a huge fisherman. I'm not a huge traveler. I don't have a whole lot of hobbies. You just said it. I mean, there, there are three things that I think help us be more balanced than the average person because there are only three things. And that's, like you said, our faith and our family and our football program. And we simply, I, I'm not, I could, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to spend a minute. I'm not going to spend an iota of a thought. I'm not going to do anything unless it adds a drop in one of them three buckets. I'm just not going to do it. And maybe someone says, well, you're not well-rounded enough. I think I do a pretty good job with that. But I really believe that the less things we can say we truly need, the more we can be better at those things. And frankly, if I was more mentally tough, if I was stronger, maybe I'd only have two things or one thing, but I'm not there yet. I'm a, I'm a work in progress, but, but those are the three things that, that for us matter. And, you know, we, we live two miles down that road right there and our kids have grown up on this field and in this office and they're at practice every week and they're, they're able to see like that, that was, that was part of the move here, the intentional move here. And the reason to stay was my dad used to say, you, you shouldn't juggle those balls. If you thought about your passions or your needs, you shouldn't have to juggle them because if you juggle them, that means while touring your hand, one is in the air, you should be able to find communities that allow them to be enveloped within to, into each other. And here we've been able to do that. And that's not only what makes me so proud of where we've been, but also so confident in the chance we have moving forward. Because I, I know when I go there, he's going to ask me a bunch of questions and, and they're not going to be about our trophy case or our move to division one. You know, he's going to say, were you a good father? Were you a good husband? Did you lead people to the best of your ability? And did you believe in me? And this place allows us to do that. So 
no place is perfect. I get it. But I think we've started off with a pretty good foot being that we're going on year 13 here. It's not like we just got in here two months ago, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's, that's huge, isn't it? Especially in this, in this world of college football coaching, when there is so much turnover and there is so much job insecurity and there is so many people, you know, looking for that greener grass. Um, that kind of tenure at a place can, can really do wonders uh, in, in, in the long run, can it? I think so. And it's probably what you're experiencing similar in, in your career um, and your different mediums is that it's not even the large sweeping things that everyone wants to look at very acutely and say, oh, that's it. It's almost just this daily process and routine and having that knowledge base in the bank and the knowledge base isn't even within me. The knowledge base is with the Fritz Waldvogels and the Willie Bereges and our alumni base and the people that have been tied into the program for years, you know, the, the Mike Cerises and just all the guys that, that have strongly gotten behind what we're doing here. And it, you need that, you know, the, is, is Mark Deanart used to say, you know, to our kids quite often, it's the confluence comes because there's many pulling or pushing in one direction. And I really do believe in my heart of hearts that that only happens over long periods of time. Anybody can have a good football team, Park. anybody. But if your goal is to have a great football program, that's a whole different scenario. Yeah. How are you with criticism and uh, the pressure that comes with, with a job like yours? Or how... How thick is your skin and how much do you just have to just believe in, in the process and, and what you're doing and, and not let all those outside voices, if there are any, I'm not saying there are a lot, but, sure. but I mean, but when, when those criticisms do come and when those judgments come, how, how do you, how do you, you know, move forward in a positive yeah, I manner? Up, with that? grew up in a family of seven, uh, surrounded by attorneys and uh, fast speaking Italians. So the kind of the, the whole idea of, you better earn your place every day was, is not something that we just kind of stumbled upon. It's something that happened early. And I, to answer the question directly, I think I deal pretty well with it. If I think it's founded, you know, mm -hmm. well, if it's rooted and founded and you could say, well, that's a cut. No, because there's a lot of criticism that comes from people that have not done the research you have or the time, you know, and frankly, if there is a constructive criticism that is well-founded, shoot, that's an opportunity for me to get better and, and grow, right? It's just like yeah. sitting teaching your, your sixth grade kid at the dinner table, don't blame something on someone else, not because that's just not a good thing to do, but when you blame it on someone else, you relinquish the opportunity of the responsibility of growing from it, right? So you want that responsibility. So I, I'm, I'm pretty hard on, I think anyone who knows me intimately knows that I'm, I'm very, very hard on myself. Um, I'm not saying it's the healthiest way to go. I wake up every day and look in the mirror, quite literally, Perk, and I convince myself of, of how little I've done and how, hmm. how, bad I, <laughs> how bad I am at times and how much I got to work. But I think that's, that's my way of maybe motivating myself to know that if I don't do something today to take the next step, forward then i'm just i don't know who i who i am so yeah. it's not the healthiest way to go though no but but there's nothing more frightening and and 
I think non-productive than than being complacent you know and I, I think that that you know being your own toughest critic is is oftentimes a really healthy place to reside because you're you're uh, you, you know what you have to do and you know how to get there and and so <laughs> yeah but, yes but, listen but, to constructive yeah, that has to be you know it's interesting they're talking to you right now because i think one of the one of the things not to make this into a one of the things i think you really do well is that i know you have that side of it right but it's measured and balanced with a a childlike curiosity to not take yourself too seriously right so it has to th- that curiosity has to go in lockstep with that belief that you're trying to always grow every day because if you don't, you're going to be an underachiever and underachieving is about as bad as it gets. Being, being the coach you are and being and part of what, what is part of being a head coach is, is being that person that is out front and center, an ambassador to the school, an ambassador to the program, championing you know the mission and and the movement and all that stuff, and and reaching out and and being that conduit to the boosters and all that stuff. I mean, is being that part uh, is is such a huge part of this, isn't it? Sort of that being that marquee person, and you really have to be comfortable in that skin. Because I know that there have been coaches in the past, I'm not gonna name names, that haven't been comfortable. They great X's and O's people, great with their teams, but but uh, but really lacked the, all that other stuff that, uh, you know, and, and, and I think that that has become such a huge part of college coaching, hasn't it? Well, it, it has, and people don't often recognize the importance of that in terms of, you know, first of all, I'm not going to take credit for being, put, I was put in that position because of how I was raised and um, the pride and passion is not a slogan we started when we got to St. Thomas. It's something that was embedded three generations ago in the Caruso and has passed down. So being prepared to be able to be out in front when you need to and, and, and doing those things, that's, that's my dad's teaching. However, I think if, everybody's different, right? We all look different. We all sound different. We all speak. But if that message is not genuine, everybody sees right through it. Maybe not in the first year, maybe it takes two or three years, but eventually who you are is who you are, man. That's the way it is. And what I love about the position we're in is I feel so strongly that the University of St. Thomas is a place like that's why I can proudly wave the flag because it's not disingenuine. It's not inauthentic. It's, it's truly, you know, we're a Metro Catholic school who, uh, who has an entrepreneurial spirit and, and wants to always be growing. Well, if, if I believe that that's a great premise to run a football program on, and I'm able to do it in a school which does that. It, it does give me the belief that I can simply speak from my heart. And as I watch the great leaders, whatever they are, I watch Bill run this athletic department. I try and be this way to our kids. I watch our father, the best businessman. They're really the ones that provide you with the opportunity to, from your heart, be the best version of you genuinely. They're not asking you to be someone else. They're letting you be you and letting you do it in, in a very authentic way. And I think that's the beauty of what we have here at St. Thomas. It, it's rare though, Perk, it's rare. 
That'll do it for this episode of Perkett Pod. We want to thank our partners, Audio Wiz, Justin Bailey, theme song by Taylor Robert. Keep listening weekly for another episode with Minnesota sports influencers and icons on Perkett Pod. Feel free to share this podcast. Give us a simple subscribe click. It doesn't cost you a thing. Heart us, rate us, double tap us, whatever you want. And until next time, remember, shine bright. Don't be afraid to be weird and open your hearts to inclusion. Peace. Perk and Pond, sometimes he's at play. Perk and Pond, find out what he'll say. Perk and Pond, who's coming on today?